welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Melanie. Is this good? Okay. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Melanie. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Melanie. I've got this up here. I, I took some notes, and I'm hoping I don't have to use this, but sometimes I go on tangents and lose my train of thought, and I have an anchor if I, if I don't know what to say. Um, welcome to our newcomers. You are in the right place, and congrats to the chip takers. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm, uh, I used to say compulsive undereater, and now I feel like the right term is restrictor. I'm like, maybe I missed a memo because I hear that in meetings more, but like a failed anorexic, I restricted and restricted and restricted, and then I would always binge, so I never got quite, quite, quite thin enough to be hospitalized for anorexia, but I was really low, like unhealthily low. And um, while I didn't ever throw up, I purged through exercise and through herbal laxatives, because if they're herbs, they're probably not bad for me. Um, but they, but that's what I used to get rid of the just um, massive quantities of food that I'm capable of eating. So um, I'll talk about what happened, which is, um, or no, I'll talk about what it was like. So I've been in, in these rooms for 21 years. And I was a compulsive overeater from the get-go. And, you know, it's funny. I, like, I had a childhood that had stuff in it, for sure. Like, there was divorce. There was lying. There was money stuff. There were addictions. And for a long time, I really blamed all of that on me being a compulsive overeater. Like, that was my cross to bear. So I needed to eat and I am so, there. you know, my childhood was better than a lot of people's that don't overeat. And my childhood was, you know, equally disruptive. And, but all I'm saying is my, my, my proclivity, my need to cope with a feeling through food is just how I came out. And there are addictions in my family, so it's possible I inherited it, and it's possible just the path that God wanted me to walk because it got me in here and coming into these rooms and the spiritual transformation that has happened over the last 21 years and the life that I'm able to lead because I had to confront my just completely debilitating behaviors with food is something that I really wouldn't change. And it took me a long time to say I wouldn't change it because it has caused so much pain. But the levels of joy that I'm able to experience now that I experience really regularly, I feel so privileged. I feel so privileged. Um, so, compulsive reading from the get-go, and I have early, early memories of just, there are not enough donuts. It was always sugar, sugar and bread. Not enough donuts, not enough cake, not enough anything. But I never was overweight, and I think that was because by the time I was 10, I was starting to key into the fact that I was eating too much, and I started compulsive over-exercising at 10. Um, my dad was dating a woman who was much younger, and she had calorie charts and workout charts on the fridge, as some healthy 23-year-olds do. But I read that as a 10-year-old and started eating the way a 23-year-old woman who was trying to lose weight was eating. And I was doing my mom's workout tapes a couple times a day. Um, 
And the thing is, my mom qualifies for this program as well, so I, she didn't maybe key into the fact that what I was doing was, um, was overboard. Or if she keyed into it, maybe didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, I have three children. Um, they are seven, five, and two. It's possible that one of them qualifies for these rooms. Might happen. And all I can say is, while that is sometimes difficult for me to witness, I also know that if that's the way the road is going to go, um, I have... I have tools to, I, first of all, I have tools to keep my side of the street clean, not engaged, but oh my gosh, I know where to bring this person. Mm. And, and that will be very different from my road into getting here. So over-eating, over-exercising, get to college. Um, I'm just fast-forwarding because I think a lot of you know, a lot of, all of you know the, what it was like. Um, so I maintained a pretty normal to slightly underweight weight in high school because of all the exercising, et cetera, in college. That became even more so. I was on my own. There was a gym. It opened at 5. I was there. Um, and then at night or whenever I was, you know, c came back from big night out, it was just, the, and the, the binges got bigger, the, the purging got bigger, the, the binges got bigger, the restricting got bigger. The plans I would put myself on for I will only eat this for X number of days got more and more restrictive, got longer and longer. And the, so the yo-yos just, just got more and more extreme. When I was in my second year of college, I think it was, um, a, a woman who was in my program at school, some of you know the story, but um, she had come to these meetings because she was depressed and couldn't eat, and I was, I guess it was my third year in college, um, I at the time was, had started dating somebody, and I was really excited about this person, I hadn't been in a relationship like this before, but I felt like I couldn't, I had this horrible secret about what I did with food, and so when she told me about it, and and she knew what I, we were very close friends, so she kind of knew what I did. I actually came into these rooms because I wanted to, I, I guess some part of me, like I wanted to crack whatever was going on that I felt had to be such a secret from this person that I just adored. Um, so I came in and I was immediately, immediately struck by the spirituality in these rooms. I'd had a very spiritual upbringing, not a... Not a linear one, not one to any particular church, but I have a really spiritual mother, and that was infused in us from the beginning. So there was always a concept of a higher power, but no direct line. And when I came in here, I was just struck with how, on, on what a personal level, people in meetings seem to be able to communicate with this God entity. And I loved that. And... Um, and it's so interesting because I, so I've been, some of you know this, I've been on this, I'm an avid journaler, like I started keeping journals when I was 13, and I'm north of 40 now, and I kept them like daily, like daily, sometimes multiple times a day, from the time I was 13 until my first child was born seven and a half years ago, and I'm for the first time going back and rereading those journals, and I'm doing it like I'm taking breaks, and it's a long, long thing, but I, I read recently my first years in recovery, like coming into OA. So for the newcomer, what I can say is there are notes like I need, like I want to make an outreach call. What do I say to these people? Like, <laughs> what what am I doing? And now you know all I do when I have alone time in the car is like return and make calls to the people I care about in program or to newcomers that reach out to me in program or my sponsor or my sponsees. Um, but in those, so for my first year, I worked the meeting part really hard. I conveniently picked a sponsor who was not super available to me and, you know, didn't return my calls. And that's not her fault. But, but as a result, I didn't thoroughly, thoroughly get into step work in the first year. And I did relapse after a year. Um, and by relapse, I mean I had a bigger binge than I'd 
really ever had. I, I didn't have a super defined food plan the first year, but I knew that like binging, starving, purging in any form is breaking my abstinence. So about a year in, I had a bigger binge than I'd ever had. And, um, and, and after that, and, and what's interesting is in my memory, it was this like shocking thing. And in my journals, I see it actually wasn't. It was like, okay. And I just came back in. That was the miracle. I didn't, it didn't lead to six more. It didn't lead to a ton of, I mean, I, I beat myself up because I do that in abstinence, but I beat myself up. Um, but I came right back in and I found a sponsor who I could, I could call every morning at a certain time. And those were the days when I could make a phone call at 6.15 in the morning. These days I've got six little feet running through the house wanting me to feed them at 6.15. But, um, but I started, I, I started, um, I just dove in deeper than I, than I had done. And I will say, um, anyone who is new that the miracle really is in the step work. It's in, it's in the entirety of the program. It's in the fellowship. It's in the tools of the program. It's in these meetings. For me, I, for me, without step work, I, I really can only go so deep. And my, my desire to go back to the food really goes up. Um, so I came in. At, I mean, so I came back. And since then, that was 20... That was more than 20 years ago, and I've maintained an abstinence of um, no binging. Haven't binged in 20 years. Haven't starved myself in 30 years, in 20 years. And in fact, the, I think the, the the ability to starve myself has gone away. The ability to overeat has not. Sometimes, like I email my food um, at the end of the day, and thank God I do that because sometimes the desire to just reach for more food because that is what I know to do to cope with any kind of feeling is so loud. And my, you know, I do not always every day eat three perfect meals that have a perfect beginning and end and little snacks. Like sometimes it is a little mushier than that. And, and I, I really do know the difference between being abstinent and not for myself. And I'm so glad I had that tool of accountability because my food was such a secret thing, such a secret thing. So the fact that I can just tell somebody to the letter what I ate and have no shame about it and get on with my life and wake up the next morning like feeling ready to be back in my life is a miracle. Um, one thing that really struck me, and I'm going to open this, um, one second. Mm. One thing that really struck me about my early days and what I can really witness as having changed, this is sort of blurring what happened and what it's like now, is um, even within my first couple years of being abstinent, I had so many rules for myself. And like, I will not eat this. I will not do that. I will not, you know, that relationship that got me into this program ended and I had rules. I will not talk to this person for three months or six months or whatever. Like, it was just so full of rules. And you know, I, I know, like, through the step work, through, through my step six and seven, like, definitely one of my character defects is control. I can be so desperately controlling, and it is desperate. I, I desperately want to control things when I feel so out of control in my life or so out of, you know, what someone else is doing feels so out of my control. So my go-to, definitely pre-program, and sometimes even inside of it, my go-to, my first instinct is to make a rule and to try to follow it. And um, so my early recovery had a lot of rules, and then a lot of failing on the rules, and then a lot of being upset that I failed on the rules. And I lit, my life is so gray right now. And by that, I mean, my, my life is actually so incredibly vibrant and colorful, but there's so much gray. There are so few rules in my life right now. There's like, you know, rules about, there are rules like, 
I will never like strike my children. Like there are those big rules, those big important rules, but like in terms of what my food is going to look like on a given day, what my relationship with so-and-so is going to be like, what my work, what is and isn't um, going to... So I have a career that's freelance and it's up and down and, you know, this been an emotional couple weeks with that. A couple, you know, I had to turn down a project that I would have... I would have pretty much given anything to do. And that, it, it, the schedule of it did not work for my family. But, so that was the choice. I get to make the choice, like, in the moment for, for what's going on. And this program gives me a way to be present and to go within and to ask my higher power for an answer and to trust that answer when I get it. And often, you know, me, like, I will second guess my own decisions and thank God for the people in this program because I so believe my higher power speaks through the people in these rooms. And I make calls and those people call me back and I hear the voice of God through the, through the feedback that I get. And a lot of times the feedback is, go to God. <laughs> and then, you know, and so the loop continues. But, um, but I do want to, I do want to bring, I do want to bring the subject matter around to, um, to spirituality and God and living in the gray, because that is, that is the heart of my program. Um, I, as I said, came in with a, with a spiritual sense, but through being in here, I feel like I have, I mean, there's, there's an unlimited, um, pool of, especially living in a city like this, pool of places we can go but for, for spiritual, um, just for, to fill that spiritual well. The tools of prayer and meditation, which, um, you know, Step 11 and the St. Francis Prayer are, I mean, some of my favorite words in the world, and I read a lot. <laughs> some of my favorite, favorite words in the world, and I've gone back to saying the St. Francis Prayer verbatim every morning. It always is like running through my head in various, you know, various pieces of it, but that prayer from start to finish... Um, is, is serving me really well right now. And in the morning, you know, I used to, before I had kids, I, I had a very long, wonderful morning routine. It all went out the window for a while, and I've started to reclaim it, thanks to my husband. My husband's awesome, and we kind of trade off, like, cleaning our room and having time to meditate. But, but that tool of sitting quietly with God, and I also want to say... God is not God as defined by anyone or anything else. It is, I, I call my higher power God. It is, you know, as someone said in a share, I mean, someone said in, in a podcast that I was listening to recently, like, it's anything that's not you, you know, like any power that isn't you. So for me, I call that energy God. But sitting quietly, letting my body be still because my disease is also fueled, like one of my character defects of rushing, always rushing around and racing here and racing there. And then because I'm racing so fast, I am justified in grabbing this thing on the go and grabbing this thing on the go and just losing track of what on earth is going on with my food, what on earth is going on in my life. It's this weird, I don't really understand the neurological pathways of it, but like it's this weird way of avoiding my life. It's like I want to do so much and I want to do it so fast that somehow I'm just distant from everything and everybody, if that makes any sense. And I'm just in my little world, and I don't have to connect, and I don't, you know, I don't have to really be accountable because I'm just in a hurry. So anyway, meditating is the opposite. And I sit there, and my body is still, and my breath is slow, 
and there are prayers that I say. And you know, some days my head is not slow. Like some days I sit there, but it is the practice. It's like the practice of coming to meetings. It's the practice of calling my sponsor. It's the practice of sending my food. It is a practice. And I sit there and I breathe and I let the day in and I set an intention and I pray for other people. My sponsor has taught me the power of praying for other people. And, um, you know, I have a friend that lost a child a few weeks ago. And I pray for that family and I pray for the little brother of that boy every day. And it also, when I pray for other people, reminds me how good I have it. You know, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. I live here. Like, I have a car, you know. I have a sponsor in another program, and she will leave me messages, and she's like, thank God for running water. Thank God for my bedspread. Because it's like the list never ends. And if I want to get if I want to get in my head about, like, what a victim I am, because that's another place I can go, I have it so hard. I can, in, in two minutes' time, make a gratitude list that's like 800 items long. So, um, so that, so, so prayer and meditation... Um, anchors me, and, um, and I really learned to do it in here. I feel like um, I, it also, I guess what I also want to say about it is that stillness, um, I, I really, intimacy does not come easily for me. Um, it doesn't come easily to me. I have the most wonderful husband, and this guy puts up with me, like, trying to, uh, we've been together for 15 years, and I still try to push that guy away when I'm, like, when anything is going on in my life, and he stay, he stays there, and he also, you know, I guess God brought us together, because he actually, de- you know, demands that I, that I break that down, but um, it doesn't come easily to me at all, and the practice of meditating, and the practice of being still, and just feeling my body and my breath open really, 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 really helps me with that because then I use it in the moment like whether it's you know I'm at a work meeting and I start to go into the whole thing of like I'm not as good and so and so and so and so is going to get the job and I'm not going to get the job and I, my hair's not right and, blah, 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 blah. and I have that sort of you know meditation money in the bank and I can sit there and close my eyes or go into the bathroom and get still for 15-20 seconds and come out and feel like never mind all is well and the all is well part happens because again one thing that, you know, sometimes I forget it in abstinence, but I'm always luckily reminded of it. It's not up to me. <coughs> Nothing is up to me. How my life turns out is not up to me. Whether I get whatever job is not up to me. What, like, none of it's up to me. What anyone in my family is doing is not up to me. What my children do or don't struggle with is not up to me. Like, none of it is up to me. So in the morning, when I turn it all over, and I actually have recently, I totally love that I'm doing this, and someone in program, of course, because everything that I learned that's good, I learned in, in 12 rooms. Um, I have a little reminder on my phone every day, it dings, pray right in the middle of my day. I just put it in the calendar, put it repeat with no ending date, and it dings, and it reminds me to pray, because sometimes I find, too, that I have this wonderful connected time in the morning, and then, like, by 2 p.m., like, where is that? I'm just back in the Melanie show. So I have this little reminder and I stop and I pray and usually in that moment I just remind myself like my higher power is in charge. My higher power is in charge. So when I'm wrestling and and having my higher power in charge does not mean I do not wrestle with things. Like I will wrestle them to the ground. It does not mean I do not feel distraught when something does not go my way because I do sometimes. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, like getting mad all of it. Like all of the emotions are in full play, but but I guess, bless you, um, 
the big difference is at the end of the day, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, at the end of the moment, whatever it is, I inevitably come back to um, my higher powers in charge. And that's a really big relief. It takes a lot of pressure off me, and it frees me up to be in my life, like, a lot more. And I don't think I have to run the show. Um, let me see if there's anything else that I knew I wanted to talk about. Oh, um, so so another thing about what it's like now is um, is... And I'll talk about the food a little bit for a second because, so my absence, I've said, is no, no over, no, no binging, no purging through exercise laxatives. I couldn't make myself throw up, so I don't even have to say that because it's not going to happen. Um, and no starving. But, you know, the road gets narrower, and we are, you know, and I am a lifer in this program because I have to be rigorously honest. I get to be rigorously honest. I want to be rigorously honest about where food takes me out. I don't want to be taken out of my life, and yet. This is this, you know, we have to we have to engage with food. So my experience is sometimes it takes me out, and in little ways. Like, so I've been really looking at lately. Um, for me, it's behaviors more than certain foods. Like, what are the behaviors that I will still do with food to take the edge off? But by taking the edge off, I also block myself from my higher power and from other people in that moment. Like, minimize intimacy, like all of that. And there is a particular behavior which I have gotten away with, not trying to get away with it, but, like, as a mom, like, picking at stuff while, you know, you're making dinner, your kids are eating, whatever, like, totally acceptable in modern society. Nobody's going to chastise you for, like, picking at your kids' leftovers, but guess what? It takes me out. So I have been getting rigorously, 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 rigorously honest about it, and I am, I am back, I'm working the steps formally in this program, which I haven't done in a while, and I'm back in step one around that, because I know it can be lifted. I know, and thank God I know, because when I came in here, I really didn't think there was another way with food. I really thought that binging and starving my way through life was how it needed, was just how it was going to be. That's just how it was going to be. And so I know that there is a solution, and the solution is in the steps. And I am telling you, like, the minute I started writing on step one, like, the desire to do that started to be lifted. Like, sometimes all the way, sometimes it would, like, you know, start to come back. But it's like there is working, working the steps around this. I feel like I have the zeal of a newcomer when I came in. It's like, oh, my God, there is a solution. And I'm experiencing it. So I'm really, really, really grateful. And I... I'm so thankful to my sponsor because I am able to, I am, I am, I trust her enough to be rigorously honest with her. And, and that is saying something coming from me because I'm a really, really sneaky, secretive person. Um, people never think about, about me. You know, I like, people think I'm just this like, you know, whatever. But I am a really sneaky, secretive person. And the willingness to be rigorously honest with somebody says a lot about her. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working on in my program right now, which feels really, really good, and it feels really, really, really good to be back in the steps formally in this program. The way I work my program right now um, looks really different than how it did before I was a mom. Um, I used to go to three meetings a week or five meetings a week or do a 30 and 30, like all of that. I don't do any of that right now. <laughs> I, there is one OA meeting a week that I get to that I have a service commitment at, and I'm at that meeting every week. Um, I do my darndest to make it to another one. My husband is, goes in cycles where he travels a lot. He's back in a traveling a lot cycle, and 
Thank you. So that doesn't always happen, but on the on the weeks where I and and I do definitely recommend, if possible, to get to more than two. I'm just being super honest about what what it is for me right now. And I have another program, and I try my darndest to hit a meeting in that program as well. Um, this is my primary. This is where I will always come first. Um, but I on the weeks that my meetings, you know, that that second one's not going to happen. I I absolutely listen to a podcast. I'm on the phone with fellows in this program every single day. And I read the literature. I read a little bit in the morning. Now that I'm doing step work, that's sort of up, which I love. Um, I use all the tools. I email my food at night. That's my daily 10th step. For If you haven't gotten to step 10 yet, don't worry about what I'm talking about. You'll get there. Um, and I try to practice the principles in all of my affairs. I make a conscious connection with God in the morning. And I... I I'm really eager to own my part. Like, you know, working the working the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh were transformative for me because I never used to like to think I was wrong, and now I kind of can't wait to clean up my side of the street. And sometimes I have to then check and pray about the part that, like, but that didn't necessarily fix it. Um, but I really love the feeling of cleaning up my side of the street. So I try to, you know, I try to, you know, hopefully I see when I need to make an amends, and I do that. So, um, so that's what I do on a daily basis. Um, I probably do more than I'm forgetting to say, and I'll walk out of here and think, oh, I didn't say that thing, but, you know, whatever. But um, I know we have a few minutes left, so I'll stop if there are um, any questions. So the question is, um, given the character defect of rushing, how do I cultivate patience um, with my children and also with other people? Um, I think I've gotten better over the years with remembering, like, you know, trial and error. So, you know, they say the definition of insanity is you do the same thing over and over again and you expect a different result. So I've gotten better at remembering where my not-so-helpful actions take me. So if I find myself rushing around or I find myself starting to engage in a tone that is hurried, you know, and if it's hurried, it can easily veer into unkind or harsh or whatever, um... I think it's just that muscle has gotten a lot stronger, just like my muscle when I think I'm going to reach for an extra bite of food has gotten stronger, like, I don't want to do that. I've just, it's, it's just become a little bit or sometimes a lot easier to stop in the moment and, and make a different choice. I'm a big, my life has a lot of, like, stop, like, starting down one road and being willing to stop right there, and I think that's... I learned to do that in here, like that I'm so imperfect. So if something starts coming out of my mouth that is unkind or controlling or hurrying someone along, I will, God willing, stop myself mid-sentence and stay, you know, take a breath and say, I want to I try that again. Um, it helps me to look in the eyes of the person that I'm talking to because when I'm rushing and, again, I'm, it's all about me, and the only reason... It has nothing to do with you that I'm snapping at you, but I'm trying to keep you over here because I've got to do what I've got to do. It helps me to stop and look in the eyes of the person that I'm talking to. Um, and then, of course, if I mess up and I'm not patient, which hang out at my house for 48 hours and you'll see me be not patient, <laughs> um, I just apologize, and I, and I apologize as I learned to do in here. I don't, I don't say anything about your part. I just own my part. I say I want to make a different choice next time, and I pray to have that defective character lifted. Um, so the question is, what is my process of forgiving myself if I break a rule? Um, not to have them. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no. Um, it's, I think, um, you know, that's where, that's where outreach 
is key for me because usually I will beat myself up until I am flat on the floor. Um, you know, I these days maybe it's not a rule, but maybe it's you know whatever. I will beat myself up until I am, you know, just miserable and think I'm crazy. So I when I hear that tape starting to go, the first call I make is to my sponsor. I leave her a voicemail if I don't reach her in person, and then I have you know some of my closest, closest friendships in the world are in these rooms. And I call those people. And usually by the time I've left like the sixth message, (laughs) I'm feeling better, you know, and I've said it. I've said the recovery that I need to hear. If they answer, great. They'll, you know, they'll probably say something brilliant back to me. But if not, like, I will hear myself saying out loud, um, you know, the, the compassion that I need. And then also, you know, if I am in the middle of beating myself up, I just look for where I can be of service. You know, I didn't talk about that too much in my talk. I don't know why. But um, but that's one of my prayers every day, like how can I serve? And I've gotten really clear on if I'm in self-obsession, I can't be of service anywhere. Little ways, big ways. I can't be of service because there's no, there's no um, line to anybody else. It's all about me. So... That's that's my answer for today. <laughs> um, anything else? Um, it was rigorous honesty was my main tool there. I sort of made a you know made a commitment to my sponsor that no matter what I was just going to be honest because it's true. Like the swings in the body and your feet, you know, you're nursing the baby, like all of it. It is so crazy making if I think that I could eat remotely like I'd ever eaten before in my life and the sleep and the you know just everything. So my commitment was I was going to be rigorously honest. And then there are certain foods. You know, I don't keep any foods out in my abstinence. I can eat anything. But there are certain foods that really, even on my best day, I eat them and I want more. So I really, for the you know, for the most part, choose not to eat those. And definitely at different times, if, if that... I did make commitments for, you know, just for today or, you know, for 30 days, but I'm going to text you one day at a time. I'm just going to stay away from this. I think that's something I wanted to say, too, about all the rules. It was all this, like, I'm not going to do this. I don't, I don't, I don't. And now I focus much more on, like, what I am going to do. So it's not this language of, like, don't do this, don't do this. It's more like it's, it's what will I do today? So if I, if I am going to abstain from this food, it feels really loving versus, like, I'm not going to eat the thingy thing. So, yeah. Sure. So the question is, um, given that I have exercise bulimia as part of my story, how do I, how do I work, you know, how do I reconcile exercise? How do I have exercise in my life now? Um, in the beginning, I, I actually had, you know, just um, my sponsor and I, just the way we set up a food plan, there was kind of X amount that I could exercise in a week. You know, I wasn't going to exercise for more than an hour a day. If it was a yoga class, fine. Maybe it's 85 minutes, but it wasn't going to be more than that. Um, and that has continued. Um, I, I don't do two classes. I mean, there's no time now. But, like, I, I, you know, when I got married, I really wanted to be, like, I wanted to go back to working out three hours a day, and that's just not an option. So it was just the way I did with my food. I made a plan with my sponsor, and then that just kind of became a way of life. Exercise is deeply important to me, and now it's, like, it brings me so much joy. I feel so good when I do it. It still sometimes is scary for me if there's a week where I can't do the the same amount, you know, because work or the kids are sick or whatever, whatever, it's still scary for me. And usually, though, it's scary for like an hour. And then I just, you know, it's like life gets in motion and and 
I've been around that scary block enough times to know that, you know what, next week it'll probably be back to normal and I'll feel, I'll feel better. So again, how can I go be of service? How can I just get out of myself? Um, but yeah, that's what I did in the beginning. Anything else? I think we're just about out of time anyway. Yeah? Okay, thank you so much. And thank you, Rashad, for asking me this week.